If there's if I have a religion, it's the art of stand up. <laughs> Welcome to today's episode of The Comical Heathen. This podcast chronicles one man's journey into the wild and weird world of religious satire. And that man is me, your host, Dr. Jerry Joffe. Uh, as it happens, I'm currently writing a book on religious satire. And while I was doing my research, I found myself doing a lot of interviews uh, with comedians and other interesting folks. And it just occurred to me, hey, maybe other people would like to hear some of these interviews too. So, welcome to this podcast. Today's episode features my interview with comedian Ian Harris, known as the Skeptic Comedian. He has performed at the Reason Rally, and his latest special, Extraordinary, is available on Amazon Prime. Really interesting conversation. Someone who's built his whole act around skepticism and atheism and science. Uh, so I really look forward to sharing that interview with you. Regular listeners of this show know that I always give you updates from the Rabbit Hutch. Me and my wife are rabbit enthusiasts. We currently have two Holland Lops, a little brown chocolate tort called Newton, and a black and white little guy called Kelvin. Suppose you notice a little theme there, hey? Um, so it's been a hot minute since the last time we released an episode, and I have actually, believe it or not, gotten a couple emails from friends who listen to the podcast asking me how the rabbits are doing. So uh, if anyone else was thinking that, thank you for your good uh, rabbit karma. I will tell you Kelvin and Newton are doing well. Newton is uh, over two years old, and Kelvin's uh, about a year now, a little over a year. And uh, they get along famously, both males. We call them husbands. They spend so much time together. Uh, we wanted to do uh, something for the rabbits. I'll give you this little tidbit. You know, we have little rabbit cages that the rabbits stay in right in the living room. You know, family room right with the family. And when we're home, they just hop around. You know, they know where to go and where they can't go, and they're litter box trained, and they're really great about that kind of stuff. But when everybody goes to work or no one's sort of around to watch them, we had been just leaving them in their cages, which they had room to move around. You know, there was some room in those cages, but we thought maybe we could do something to give them a little more mobility, improve their quality of life. So, uh, I mean, these are indoor rabbits, so we don't take them outside. But we went ahead and bought a little pen, like almost like a little fence you can put around one part of the living room, around their cages. So now, um, if they have to be home by themselves for a little while, they don't have to stay in their cages. They have more room to hop around and play and see each other and also get away from each other. I think it's really improved their quality of life. But I will say there's kind of like a funny uh, reversal of what might be expected. So before we did this, they would be confined to their cages, which they are pretty chill with. Um, but they did like to be let out. So now they're really almost never confined to their cages. But uh, when we leave, we do put the pen up around their play area. And when the pen goes up, they get so excited for like 30 seconds, like frustrated. They're like they're walking the yard. They hop around and explore the edges. They stick the little rabbit noses through and sniff around. They take the little rabbit bowls and clang them up and down the fence like they're little inmates. And then they hop around and, and relax with each other. Anyway, that's what's been going on with our rabbits, Calvin and Newton. I've noticed, keeping rabbits, that one of the last uses for old-fashioned paper newspapers is lining the bottom of rabbit cages. And that's what we do. But then there was a funny side effect from that. I started seeing headlines and reading them 
It's almost like I'd gone back to reading newspapers, but only if they're at the bottom of our rabbit cages. And there's one type of headline that always seems to pop out at me. I see a lot of uh, either historical or factual misinformation out there about religion in newspapers and other news outlets because uh, some reporters treat stories about religion as soft journalism. You know, they don't ask a lot of hard questions or do any fact-checking. So without even doing too much digging, you can find some, you know, errors and some interesting, you know, questionable statements in reporting on religion. Now, whenever I find examples of these, I have to set the record straight, you know, because it's good for our souls to know things. So, what a headline did I pull out of the bottom of the rabbit hutch today? See underneath their big hopping rabbit feet, a headline. It's an article from the Orlando Sentinel, and this is the title. Private schools curriculum downplays slavery, says humans and dinosaurs lived together. Uh, the uh, journalists are Leslie Postal, Beth Kassab, and Annie Martin. Now, first of all, that our uh, writers have written a fascinating and well-written article on the topic of problems with Florida's private school voucher system. I know, I know, it's a shock, right? Problems in Florida? Land of alligators, serial killers, and alligators who are serial killers. In Florida, where rigged elections are so common that even NASA engineers will scrub a launch and demand a recount down. Well, it turns out the Orlando Sentinel, uh, earlier in 2018, did a whole expose. There's a whole series of articles about how this uh, state tax money goes to these private Christian schools and how there's no oversight um, or control or even careful keeping track of the money. I mean, how much money are we talking about? In Florida, they spend a billion, that was with a B, folks, dollars in public tax money on religiously affiliated private schools with a very little control or regulating or, or monitoring of the curriculum or anything. It's a billion dollars. Fuck, I could almost pay off my student loans with that much money. Little known fact, the very word billion was named after Bill Gates. It's derived from some ancient Sanskrit for an amount of money you will never see in your lifetime. Well, throwing a billion dollars of Florida's public money at private religious schools doesn't sound very wise to me. But I suppose it wouldn't be too bad as long as they don't start teaching crazy shit. Here, let me just see here. What do we got? Um, oh, here, some of the schools are teaching that... The Loch Ness Monster is real. Ding, ding, ding. Well, that didn't last long. All right, well, let's take a look at what kind of alternative facts they're teaching. Maybe this will be one of those fun dumpster fires, you know, that reaffirms your trust in waste disposal. There we go. One curriculum that some of the schools are teaching says, and I'm quoting here, some scientists speculate that Noah took small or baby dinosaurs on the ark. Uh, some scientists, or like zero scientists. No, zero's a number. Zero's a percentage. It's a sad day when a History Channel show about ancient aliens has better science in it than your kid's textbook. Christ on a cracker, Christ on a brontosaurus, brontosaurus on an ark. Would people back in Noah's time even have known anything about dinosaurs? A hint, biblical literalists, dinosaurs aren't mentioned in the Bible every time scientists discover a new species of animal, living or dead, there's some biblical literalist standing there going, koalas? Sure, Noah had those. He could barely keep them from running up and down the aisles. They were so cute. And I know, because I've studied this, that you cannot just take a dinosaur on a boat. 
I saw that movie. I think it was called Jurassic Park 5, The Rapture of the Raptor. You know, after the two anteaters ate the two ants, and the two lions ate the two zebras, and the two raptors ate all the people, what did they all eat the next day? That's what I'd call a flood of misinformation of biblical proportions. These stories about flooding the world with water are flooding the world with bullshit. It must be hard to be a kid in one of these schools. Teachers have no facts, no science. They don't seem to know that Google exists. And I hear they have tough exams. Any student who takes the final exam wearing clothes with mixed fibers gets an automatic F and then gets stoned to death. Hey, that's right in Deuteronomy. All the best stonings are in Deuteronomy. Imagine the dumbest, worst teacher from your own high school. My high school had a biology teacher who showed STD films all day long while drinking from a flask hidden in his desk. But at least his films were science films, and he had being drunk as an excuse. These Christian schools are teaching that the American slave trade was good because it taught the slaves to be Christians. That's what these teachers are teaching, sober and with a straight face. Yeah, at this point, we should be glad that it's a straight face and not a black face, am I right? Why are creationists always making shit up, like the Loch Ness Monster, dragons, baby dinosaurs, Bible stories? How do you debate someone who is just making shit up on their side? I, I respectfully disagree with your point. Yoda told me that they didn't have dinosaurs on Noah's Ark, and Jedi Master Trump's dumbass. Point set and match, bitches. I think they're called creationists because they constantly have to create new excuses for why the facts in the Bible don't match the real world. Must be hell to be a kid in one of these classes listening to this bullshit. I somehow keep imagining Beavis and Butthead in the back row. Did she just say Noah had a baby dinosaur? Whoa. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. What a dumbass. Now, Mr. Beavis, if you're not more careful, bad students end up in hell. Hell, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Will ACDC be there? As a sidebar, I want to say that all my Canadian friends are begging me to stop doing Beavis and Butthead impersonations, but I can't. The only other impersonation I know is Bill Cosby, and I ain't doing that one anymore. Let's take a look at some other things they're teaching in these private religious schools in Florida. Oh, here's one, uh, that God in his wisdom gave North America to Protestants. I guess the Native Americans there were just keeping the seat warm. I guess they were like growing all that tobacco and maize just for the Protestants. Hurry up, you guys. They're nearly here. I can see them coming, and oh, they brought some nice warm blankets. Now, another bit of wisdom from one of the textbooks, is that God does indeed sometimes use illnesses to punish sinners. You know, that explains all the blindness, all you masturbators. I guess that's what uh, having impure thoughts kind of sinners, you know, usually in the lower middle class, oh, they never let go of their junk. You know, the, now the, the white-collar sinners who defraud investors of their life savings and tax dollars, they seem pretty healthy and rich, free of any sort of punishment. I mean... How do we tell, how, how are we supposed to be able to tell which kids get cancer because of their impure thoughts? I mean, if God uses illnesses to punish sinners, I'd hate to think how God punishes dickheads who tell sick children that their sniffles are just their loving God punishing them. Probably a rash, and I mean like a really, really bad rash, you know, in the shape of Florida, and ironically, it's right on your junk too, and then you have to live in Florida? Yeah, that would be hell. You know, I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to do. I mean, the taxpayers in Florida have to pay attention and wake up. But you know what? The parents, these private schools, these kids' parents, these textbooks, they're all letting the kids down. And I don't know what else to say, but I will say this. 
students walk out. If you are a student in one of these schools and your teacher or your textbook says that Noah had a baby dinosaur on his ark and that's supposed to be science and fact and history, please stand up and just walk out. We don't need schools that treat textbooks like Bibles and Bibles like textbooks. Let's keep that shit separate. And that's what I found at the bottom of the rabbit cage today. And that's why I call it misinformation, because I consider it a sin to spread misinformation like this. And I'm not trying to ruin anyone's good time. Uh, it may be your dogma, but it's my karma. All right, now I got that out of my system. Let's move on to today's interview. Uh, I interviewed uh, Ian Harris, the skeptic comedian. He is uh, based in Los Angeles, and I'm sitting out here in Ohio, so uh, we just hooked up by Skype. So the call's a little Skypey, but again, uh, my computer has a pretty good sound system. So it's, you know, it's a pretty decent level of audio, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So here you are, my interview with Ian Harris. Well, this is Dr. Jerry Jaffe, your host of the Comical Heathen. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you a comedian who is joining us by Skype from Los Angeles, a very funny man, Ian Harris. Hey, how's it going? All right, Ian. Thanks for joining me today. I noticed uh, just uh, on, uh, on your website, you're called Ian Harris, the skeptic, the skeptic comedian. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I want to get into that with you and also your recent special, Extraordinary. Just for the sake of people listening that we're just uh, introducing you to, um, how long have you been doing stand-up comedy? Um, I just celebrated my 26th year doing comedy. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah, I started uh, October 18th, 1992 was my first time on stage. Uh, my first okay. time on stage was meant to be August 24th, 1992, <laughs> which was my 21st birthday. Oh. Um, I hounded I, I hounded the uh, people in San Francisco where I'm from to get on stage for, for many years during high school. And uh -huh. well, from 18 on, <laughs> trying to get on, they kept saying, "There's no, there's no open mic here. You got to go to the Holy City Zoo. You got to go to Holy City. Well, Holy City Zoo is 21 and over." Right. And I'm like, "I can't get in." And they're like, "That's your problem." And, and the punchline and Jeff Wills and all those people up there would, I kept hounding them, "Please let me on." <laughs> so my 21st birthday, I, me and my, and my my buddy went down to the Holy City Zoo and with the intent of doing comedy for the first time, and ended up seeing every. Bay Area legend or comic that I'd seen perform because you could be 18 to get into the club. Okay. The punchline, but the punchline didn't have an open mic. So the Holy City Zoo was the only one that had open mic and it was 21 and over. Okay. So I went to the Holy City Zoo on my 21st birthday and there was like Robin Williams, oh. and Wiley Roberts, and, and people who are now famous who weren't famous then, but they were Bay Area famous, like um, Patton Oswald. Okay. Still a feature act, but he was one of those guys that everyone knew was going to be. You know, right. one day, Johnny Steele, like all these people that I had seen doing sure. comedy that I was like, oh, these guys are, you know, celebrities in my mm -hmm. eyes, you know, and of course, a few celebrities. And I'm like, so I said, no, I'm not going up on stage after Robin Williams <laughs> and whoever else was there that night. So I ended up not going up on my 21st birthday and then um, moving to L.A. like a month or so later for a screenplay that I had written. And um <laughs> And I uh, ended up going up on stage at the uh, Ice House for my first time on, on, okay. on, the on 1992. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. I um, was doing an open mic in Boston in 90, and um, before my spot, Stephen Wright showed up and went oh, up. Wow. Oh, wow. So I followed Stephen Wright at an open mic once. <laughs> it's funny. There's a, a club here in, in, in Hermosa Beach called the Comedy Magic Club. They've been around forever. 
It's a great club and one of the better clubs in the country, I'd say. But they do this thing every July. July is their anniversary. Okay. So I think they've narrowed it down now. I think it used to be – they used to do however many comedians – of the number of the years they were in business. So on their 20th anniversary, they'd have 20 comedians. On their okay. 23rd anniversary, 23 comedians. Now they're in like 30 plus years, so they okay. don't do 35 comedians. They, I think they've made it 25 comedians a night or something like that. But it's every comedian that's ever been there mm-hmm. that's in town comes in and just signs up to do a four and a half minute set. Okay. And you do four and a half minutes, and at four and a half minutes, the guy goes, bing, and rings the bell, and you say goodnight. <laughs> and, you know, they try to time it like somewhere around your last punchline, you know, right. somewhere around four and a half minutes. But you may you may be following Jerry Seinfeld or, <laughs> or, or Jay Leno or oh, wow. um, Gary Shandling in okay. one case for me. Oh, like, okay. You know, like, there you go. Hey, you're up after Gary Shandling and before Jerry Seinfeld tonight. <laughs> oh, okay. How great. Like it's, it's crazy, but it's, it's kind of cool too. Cause you know, you just, you never know. You'll be sitting there all of a sudden. Oh wow. That's, you know, some, mm-hmm. some super famous comedian who just happened to pop in and to do four and a half minutes and they, and everyone does four and a half minutes. No one goes over the time. No one. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. I think I read online. You'll correct me, obviously that at one point you took a hiatus or stopped doing comedy and then had to decide to get back into it. Yeah. I mean, I had done comedy and I was on the road for, I moved back to the Bay Area in 96. So I'd been in LA for about four years. Okay. Moved back to the Bay Area and I I'd started doing comedy professionally at that point, emceeing and featuring and, you know, that kind of stuff. But I went back to the Bay Area because I'm like, I want to, I want to go where comedy is. Like LA right. is a horrible place to start right. comedy. They don't give a crap about comedy here. They don't, mm. you know, they want you to get a sitcom. And, and I love the art of stand up. Like, sure. I, I think it's like sacred, you know? Um, mm-hmm. If there's, if I have a religion, it's the art of stand up. Um, <laughs> And San Francisco was like the place. It's still mm-hmm. pretty pretty good, but like especially in the '90s, San Francisco was like the okay. mecca of stand-up comedy. Like every comic, you know, relocated there. You know, you had like the David Crosses and the and Mark Marins and all these people that came from other places. They were all doing time in San Francisco, and you know, Chappelle and Attel and right. all these guys. Like the Punchline was their favorite club in the world, and you know, so you got to open for these guys all the time. And so I moved back to the Bay Area, and I was doing really well, and and um, you know, made a living doing comedy, okay. just you know, regular clubs, forty, fifty weeks out of the year, just on tour all the time and and I ended up signing with a big agent manager and moved back to LA in 2000 was doing comedy part-time because okay. I did, they my agent manager wanted me here in LA sure not on the road you know it doesn't do right. any good to go on auditions if I'm not here mm-hmm. um so I uh took a part-time job editing and doing voiceover work and things like that okay and was doing that for a few years here in LA and still you know still doing 10 12 15 weeks a year on the road and um, and then 2005, I had a, a kid. Right. My wife and I had a daughter, mm-hmm. and I was doing that. And I had started an MMA gym because I try train fighters. It's my hobby, and I was putting okay. a ton of time into that. I was making a lot of money doing doing voiceover work. I was really focusing on back on on writing and directing and trying to trying to do that stuff a little sure. bit more. And I just kind of accidentally fell out of doing comedy. I wasn't doing comedy on stage in LA because to me, right. there's there's no point. Right. Unless you're trying to get a sitcom or something like that. <laughs> and because you get five, ten minutes and it, you're not really honing your craft. And it's it, to me, it's like it's not like getting up and doing an hour or, or, or having a year show. Like just, you know, this right. cattle call of going to the improv and do eight minutes set. And you got to do the same eight minutes because somebody might be in the audience. That's not what you do for creativity. Right. That's not what you do because you love comedy. That's what you do to get seen and get. And I, and I wasn't in that scene. So right. I burned a lot of bridges doing edgy <laughs> material. You know, right. uh, some people didn't like me, you know, industry people. So yeah. I, I was like, well, I'm not going up on stage here. 
<laughs> and I didn't want to be on the road full time because I had a kid. Right. So I just stopped doing comedy for about five years. Okay. Uh, and oddly enough, it was my 40th birthday, 2011. I was um, talking to my daughter. Was, you know, my wife was out of town. My daughter was, what, six, I guess? About okay. to be six, something like that. Maybe just turned six. And um, I was, you know, mentioning something about comedy. And she had never really, in her life, I had never been a stand-up Sure, comedian. sure. It's weird. Like, her dad dad was voiceover guy and fighter. Like, right. that was her thing. Like, <laughs> I did fighting stuff. Like, she didn't know me as a comic. Right. And I'm like, God, this is so weird because... That's all I've ever identified with. Like, right. That's my sure. entire adult life. That's pretty much like the only real job I've ever had. Right. You know, and my daughter doesn't know me as a comedian, which yeah. I thought that is insane. This actually sounds very existential all of a sudden. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I said, well, you know what? I'm going to go do an open mic tonight and I'm going to bring her with me. So I went to a coffee shop <laughs> and where they give you three minutes. And if they pull your name out of a hat, you get five minutes. Sure. <laughs> and so they pulled my name out of a hat as luck were. So yes. I got five minutes. <laughs> So I just went up on stage and I did five minutes of old material and started doing some other stuff that I, I did like two or three minutes of old material, a right. joke that killed. And then I just talked for another two, three minutes about religion and whatever I thought was funny at the time. Right. Of course, being a comedian for, you know, headlined clubs for a decade, <laughs> I crushed it. Yes. And of course, no one there knows I'm a comedian. They all just, they're all want to be comics in LA at a co coffee shop. Right. So they're blown away. And my daughters look, I see her in the back, like, jaw drop like right. whoa this is what is this you know right. and i could see her when i was on stage and and i was like oh this is why i do this right <laughs> so i started going back on on stage but it was more like i'm just going to go up on stage and do what i want to do right it, you know my thought was well if i go up and just talk about religion or talk about chemtrails or talk about skepticism or science and people don't like it who the hell cares right i don't need this for a living anymore Right. Um, I don't need to please anybody. I don't care if the if the casino is going to book me because I'm not clean. Because I don't, I just won't work there. How about that? Right. Like you know, I don't need to work there. And I just started doing that, and it was like within a year, right. I had written like two hours of material that was like the best material I'd ever written. Right. And I was getting up on stage, and I was doing great, and 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 getting booked, and I was booking my own shows because sure. comedy clubs were like, we haven't seen you in five years, and now you're doing forty five minutes about Jesus. I don't think we're going to hire you. <laughs> clubs that I headlined two weeks a year at were like, no. Right. So I had to start booking my own shows, and I started marketing to atheists and skeptics and saying, hey, I'm an atheist and a skeptic comic. There's right. three of us in the world that do this material. <laughs> Why don't you come see me? And right. I'd rent a little black box theater and sell 100 tickets and, oddly enough, make more money on that one night <laughs> than I would at a week at a club right. and get to just do what I want to do. And I just started doing that, and, and it turned into my first TV special that was literally a, a year a year and three months later. Okay. And the only way that happened, that, that happened because I, I was like, my thought was, I'm going to do comedy for a while. I don't need it for a living, and I'm going to... Do, do a show, some material that I really love. I'm going to write right. the smartest, best material, right. something that means something to me. And I'm going to do an hour somewhere locally, and I'm going to tape it. And right. then I'm going to have that tape so that when my daughter gets old, older, <laughs> I can say, she can say, oh, this is what my dad did. Sure. This is an hour of his best material. You know, he wasn't a famous comedian or whatever, but this is what he did. Right. So I did that, and I went to CFI, Center for Inquiry, Inquiry here in sure. Los Los Angeles, and I was they had a little hundred seat theater, and I was going to rent it and shoot it there. And I said, and you guys can charge and just 
keep all the money for the charity. And the guy who used to run the theater there wouldn't, he wasn't part of the skeptic group. It was the Steve Allen Theater and he wouldn't, he was the director, curator, whatever, and he wouldn't let me book. Okay. And I'm like, I'm giving all the money to you. He goes, I don't care. It's not part of the program that I want or whatever. So I rented a 300 seat theater directly across the street, this really nice theater. <laughs> And decided to do it on the day of the apocalypse, uh, okay. December 21st, 2012, Excellent. which was a funny goof, yes. like, you know, the world's going to end. And I worked a deal with Sirius XM that ended up falling apart where I was going to go live on Sirius XM at midnight. Okay. And it's like, if the world isn't, if the world hasn't ended <laughs> on midnight, December 22nd, sure. which would be nine o'clock our time in, on the West Coast on the 21st, that, right. well, look, we're still here. <laughs> so I call it live from the apocalypse. Right. And I invited all the all the CFI people, and I had them do a concession stand, and they got to keep 100% of the money for, for Center for Inquiry. Okay. And I filled 300 seats in Los Angeles, oh. and I had a friend who who was um who had done film work with. Okay. He said, well, oddly enough, a Republican, hardcore, now Trump-supporting Republican, fundamentalist Christian, okay. by the way, okay. who said, hey, how about I bring my crew down and we shoot it? Okay. I'll, you know, I'll produce it. I'll put it together and shoot it, and uh, then you can, you know, have the, you know, you. I, I had edited for right. years, right? So he's like, you edit it together, and you got you got a little video you can show, and it'll be it'll be it'll be cool, sure. you know. Because I was gonna just get a couple cameras, right? He's like, no, let's get a jib, let's do the whole thing, let's shoot it and see if you right. can sell it. So we did, and I ended up selling it, and then I, it, by the time it came out, it was a year and a half later. So I changed it from live, live sure. in the apocalypse to critical and thinking. Critical and thinking, like, yes. And that was that came out in 2014, but it was shot December 21st, 2012. Okay. Man, and it's just like crazy. I've, I've I've built a pretty decent following in the skeptic community. Well, you were at the eight. the second iteration of the Reason Rally. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah. That was amazing. Um, I actually do a, funny in my second special. I do a joke about doing right. the Reason Rally. Yes. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing is, it's really cool because. Eventually, I ended up being there were a couple other comics there, so it right. was a long story. But me, myself, and a, a comedian named Leanne Lord, okay, um, really funny comedian out of New York. We do the skeptic skept track at Dragon Con, okay, every year. I had this idea of maybe doing a you know a, a tour with her. Um, you know, she's a black female atheist. I'm a white male atheist okay. comedian, and maybe, you know we were talking about doing something, and we were trying to put together a tour, talking to a guy there, and. I said, hey, we should do a tour and end it at the Reason Rally, and we should each do like 10 minutes at the Reason Rally, and we could do a tour across the country and get a, get a little bus that puts Reason Rally on it. We could do right. 10 stops on our way to the Reason Rally. It could be the Reason Rally tour, and I pitched it to the Reason Rally people, and they weren't interested. And I was going like, to give 100% of the money that we raised from the door to the Reason Rally. <laughs> so I'm like, we could make two, $300,000, and they were like, no, we're not interested. I was like, well, okay. <laughs> Turns out they were going through some turmoil, right? and when all that fell apart, the new people that took over went and did a comedy show on their own. Right. So I called them like, dude, you guys turned down my idea and you book a comedy show with two of the three comedians that I wanted. And the only one you left out was me, the guy who came up with the idea. Right. It turns out the new people had no idea. They were never given the information right. that I had pitched to them. So they were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We didn't know. They put me on the show and they were doing a Friday pre-Reason Rally comedy show. Okay. It was me, Leanne Lord, and, and Keith Lowell Jensen, another atheist comic okay. who I had wanted on the show uh, so they put me on the show and i said you know look I'll, I'll she was you know really awesome person liz who was running it and she's like yeah i'll, I'll um i said well I'll, I'll volunteer for you guys i'll do whatever you guys need let's make you know so i started volunteering and helping them put together the after parties and booking the bands okay. and, and doing that sort of stuff and i wasn't going to be on the main stage unfortunately right no they had no comedians on the main stage other than margaret cho okay so was the only comedian on the main stage and they had lewis excuse me they had lewis black via satellite or pre-recorded right. 
but he didn't do stand-up. He just talked. Okay. But nobody doing stand-up on the stage except for Margaret. Right. right. So we just had the comedy night Friday before. Okay. So I was like, still, great. I'm going to go do this. It's going to be really cool, right? Right. And, um, and I was helping them vol- volunteering and doing that sort of stuff. Well, I'm getting in the Uber to go to the airport, and I get a call from Liz, and she goes, Margaret Cho is sick. There's 15 minutes spot at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which is like <laughs> perfect prime time. Right, sure. And everybody else is getting 5 or 10 minutes. It's like you know, famous speakers. We're getting 5 right. or 10 minutes, and it's like 15 minutes. She goes, we're giving it to you. Okay. And I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, everyone's unanimous. We're giving you Margaret Cho's spot. So I ended up being the only comedian that was booked to do comedy. <laughs> now, eventually there were some spots they needed to fill and Keith, Keith got up on stage on the main stage. I think Leanne did, but I don't remember, but I know Keith okay. did. And Keith did a set. Right. But I was the only one booked with my own slot. Right. And I got introduced by Liz Winstead, who's a personal hero. She's a um, huge activist and she created The Daily Show. Okay. Um, okay. So I got introduced by Liz Winstead. Um, <laughs> I think I followed Bill Nye, or okay. I was right before Bill Nye. <laughs> It was it was crazy. Okay. It was really surreal, and there was like you know tens of thousands of people there. It was really hard to say because it was really spread okay. out, and the, you had the reflection reflecting pool right. in the middle, and there were the people sitting up front. There was only a hundred or two, but off to the side and the trees and on the lawn, sure. and all the way back, and you can't hear anybody laughing. Sure, because you're so far <laughs> away. So it just sounds, especially even on the video, it sounds like dead air. Right. But I could see the people in the front in, <laughs> that were sitting there laughing. The hundred people that were sitting in the seats were laughing. Sure. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play off you guys. And man, I walked around afterward. Leanne and I walked around and I just got, I mean, I got so people coming up, coming up to me. It was, it was really amazing. I still have right. people go, oh, I saw you at the Reason Rally. I mean, it's sure. like, it was, it was really cool. It was a really, really cool experience. I wish, I wish they would do it again. I don't know if they are going to, but I, I, if they do it again, I, I right. Guess, I, it was a I, dream and a goal. And, and I watching it, you know. their uh, website. I'm not watching it because nothing happens on their website. I check into their website once in a while. Uh-huh. There have been no new updates for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think they're planning. <laughs> I, that the last one was a bit of a bust. Right. Uh, it was didn't do as well as they thought. But I think mostly because by the time they got the new people on board, sure. I think they had like eight months. Right. To do to do everything. Sure. It's like that's crazy. And Liz did an amazing job, but I think. If you had given her a year or two, like everybody else, she would have right. with 50,000 sure. people there. So your brand is the skeptic comedian. So what is a, what is a skeptic comedian? It's that's funny because funny everyone always goes, aren't all comedians skeptics? <laughs> uh, the thing is, you know, my comedy, I always call it comedy fueled by skepticism. Okay. And I mean scientific skepticism, right? Because okay. I think people in America, especially, we have a big misunderstanding. Like people who don't understand skepticism think a skeptic is a cynic. Right. Right. Somebody who's like skeptical of everything. Oh, you say that and they're a naysayer. Right. No. A skeptic is somebody who holds out belief until the evidence presents itself. Right. And we are always open minded and saying, well, let's look at all the evidence before we come up with our decision. Right. Science. Right. Yes. Um, and then also there's skepticism where people use the word skeptic again as a denier. Correct. Like people yeah. call them client, yeah. climate scientists climate science skeptics right they're not skeptics they're morons they're right. they're, they're, they're people they're the exact opposite of a skeptic sure. but they call themselves they go well i'm skeptical of right of these scientific claims or whatever now when you talk to oh, oh go ahead if you want to finish that thought sorry no, I'm, just, yeah, I'm just saying that so 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 i i try to do my comedies based on skepticism and things that skeptics talk about right. ghosts bigfoot chemtrails religion right. th- things that people believe on faith sure um 
that, that beliefs that people have that are not scientific held beliefs, and that's where my comedy comes from. So it sounds like when you uh, like maybe like reemerged into from your uh, cocoon for your second mm -hmm. uh, journey, became the skeptic comedian. What I want to ask is something like this: If you talk to a lot of your average, I'm in Ohio, Midwest mm -hmm. road warriors. Nine out of ten are going to tell you they don't want to talk about religion on stage because of the dividing the audience or freezing the audience. So you right. must not have that fear anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes and no. If like speaking of Ohio, I just did I did the funny bone in Columbus. Yeah, sorry I missed it. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> next time. Um, and Columbus is pretty liberal, mm. but of course, like everywhere in America, mm. you have a liberal town that is in a place where there's probably a lot of red, it's red state-ish, not that yeah. Ohio is necessarily red, but it, you know, it, it, it's purple. Yeah. But, um, mm. but even in, you know, even when I did, I did Alabama, you go to Birmingham, Birmingham's right. blue, basically. Right. Um, Alabama's super red. So right. I know that there's going to be a lot of people there that hate me, but there's also going to be a lot of progressive people, but I will change up my act okay. a little bit, which is people used to call me, start calling me the atheist comedian, mm -hmm. which I'm like, well, first off, there's a lot of other comics that are atheists. There's not many that just do atheism. You know, Keith Lowell Jensen definitely has his atheist sets. He also has tons of comedy that's just regular comedy. Sure. Um, you know, David Cross has tons of atheist material. But when you see him, he talks about religion for five, ten minutes. Right. The rest is relationships sure. and this and whatever else. I was like, I don't just talk about religion, but everything I do is is um, is skepticism-based. Okay. And I didn't want to call myself the science comedian because my good friend Brian Mallow already sure. calls himself the science sure. comedian. And and he's great, and he actually talks about science specifically. Right. My comedy, I say, I say, is science based, but right. I'm not talking about science. I'm not talking about scientific theories. I'm not talking about physics. Right. Necessarily. So I think I think when when I go to do those shows, I come at it from first off an angle of, hey, I'm a skeptic. What I do is poke holes in nonsense. Okay. And I say, and it doesn't have to be grandiose things. It could be something as as silly as you know, um, your gluten allergy, or it could be something sure. as silly as, as the car you drive and, you know, the, sure. the gas mileage or, or, you know, anything. Um, you know, I do a joke about people, my friend who said he got his, his girlfriend got accidentally pregnant and I'm like, oh, yes. well, how, did that, how did that accidentally happen? Like, right. you know, cause that's the wrong word and that, that's skepticism, but it's not, it's not like any sort of scientific skepticism. It's just going, well, that you're using the wrong word. That doesn't really make sense. Let's right. break it down. So I think when I start there, and they go along with me for the ride. Right. Even the religious people, when I when I get to, and by right. the way, Jesus is imaginary. Some of them might go, oh, gasp, oh no. Right. But I can go, well, hold up. Mm -hmm. You just went with me making fun of astrology and yes. Bigfoot. <laughs> and you've been on me with all these other journeys of, of faith-based nonsense. Right. You have to at least concede that this is the same, we're in the same ballpark here. Right. Even if you disagree. Right. And, you know, sometimes we still get people that walk out. Um, sure. and, and I, you know, and, and when I get, to, when I get to politics, I still get the people that are like, shut up, make America great again. And all that right. kind of stuff. I'm talking about Trump, but it's easy for me to go, Oh, uh, okay. Snowflake. I thought you were the ones that wanted free speech. I thought you were the ones right. that said that liberals are the pussification of America and we're trying right. to, you know, yes. stop free speech. And here you are yelling at me, go Donald Trump. And you're, and you're super offended by me making a joke about his hairdo. Right. <laughs> and you're the ones that are supposed to be, you know, right. screw your emotions and whatever. So it's, it's a real easy, it's really easy for me in that sense to just be like, you, you can't have it both ways. Right. You can't say nothing's, nothing's off, off topic or, or, or off the table. Right. And you can't say 
everyone's a liberal snowflake who's offended by everything and then get offended when I mention Jesus. Right. And you, and you can't laugh at me making fun of Muslims. Right. And then turn around and say, well, hey, dumbass, you're not allowed to eat pork either if you actually read your damn Bible. Right. You know, and you, you can't, you can't laugh at those two. You can't, you can, but you're, you're a hypocrite. Right. And it's easy for me to make fun of. Clubs don't always like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, also I feel like at this point I'm rarely doing just a, a club booking where it's like, hey, this is a comedian, Ian Harris, and he's coming in to do right. comedy this week. It's people coming, hopefully, because they know what they're getting. Sure. That's the uh, the kind of uh, George Carlin, Bill Maher advantage. Like, people are going to that show for what they do. Right. Which presents us a whole other set of problems, <laughs> because now you don't want to be preaching to the choir. Right. Because then it's just, then you're just, you know, batting them out of the, out of the park off a tee. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, you, you, you want to actually still challenge people and you still want people right. to, to um, have to think and to have to maybe change their perspective on things. You don't want to just completely, like I said, always preach to the choir. I know that's a horrible pun for religious material. But. You know, I, I will say I've, that, that phrase preach on the preaching to the choir, I was doing a, uh, you know, a conference presentation at a pop culture conference on stand-up comedy and religion. And someone brought up the phrase, isn't this just preaching to the choir? And I thought, well, they do it in churches and it works. So right, exactly. what's, why can't we preach to our choir? Like, why is that somehow right. <laughs> a negative connotation? It could be an effective <laughs> tool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think it is. And I think, and I think sometimes it gives people fuel. Like I have people all the time, I do it on Facebook and on Twitter or whatever. I rant all the time about mm -hmm. stuff and people always go, man, I love the way you use words. And right. I'm kind of big on being a wordsmith. Like that, that's sure. my thing. Like I, I'm, a, I'm meticulous about every Word and if I don't like the word, I'll do a thesaurus search until I find right. the word that I really love for that specific. Well, thing. I love your bit about the word extraordinary, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. That's very clever. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's and it was obviously is very Carlin-esque, if you will. I mean, sure. I'm not trying to compare myself to Carlin, no, but, but in that, if if, yeah, yeah. if there's anything where I'm like, oh, this is kind of a bit that I would say would I definitely was influenced by something <laughs> Carlin would said because he was always great with all those word puns and stuff. Sure. Um, um, hey, you mentioned uh, but, just uh, free speech in general. I will yeah. say I listened to the first episode of your new podcast, which is also called Critical in Thinking. Yes. Uh, that Ty Barnett is your co-host. Yes, he's hilarious. Oh, he's uh, great, your great very first speech. episode was on the topic of free speech. Oh yes. So uh, if you remember that far back. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily it wasn't that far. A few months. We've yes. Been doing it yet. <laughs> Oddly enough, we it's funny we are. are when we tour together, we call it Divided Comedy Tour, and we talk race, religion, politics from two different perspectives. Right. Not necessarily opposite perspectives, but two different sure. people from two different backgrounds talking about the same stuff. Sure. But we didn't want to call our podcast Divi Divided. And I was talking <laughs> to Ty, I said, you know, what, coming up with names, and I, you know, I said, I know this is the name of my first special, but Critical and Thinking, <laughs> it kind of works, because people always are talking about how, how I overthink everything. Right. And Ty always gets really super upset about stuff and is really critical about, oh, this is bullshit. Like, right? he gets upset about stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, we kind of are critical in thinking. He's like, I love it. So we just kind of, we, we went with that. It sounds like a cop buddy movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the funny thing is most of the, skept most of the, most of the guests we've had on, um, a lot of the guests we've had on, I'd say probably most, if they're either, they're either comedians or they're skeptics. Like we've had okay. on Seth Andrews, we've had on Cara Santa Maria, uh, okay. we had on Leanne, we've, we've had on a lot of um, Detrimone, we've had a bunch of people on, you know, scientists mm -hmm. or skeptics or whatever. Sure. And Ty's not totally immersed in that world. Okay. Um, he's a smart guy and he's a critical thinker, but he's also, you know, he also has some beliefs that I would, you know, he has, he's right. kind of religious and things mm -hmm. like that. So it's really great because he ask, actually asks questions that I would never think to sure. ask because I already know the answer. Right. 
you know, if he's going to ask a question to Seth Andrews about religion, like I would mm-hmm. never ask that question because I'm like, I know what Seth's going to say. Right. But I forget the audience doesn't, <laughs> Maybe not, you know, and I yeah. doesn't. So it's sure. really, it's, we have really good conversations because yeah, because he's just like, he, he asks questions. I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't, never, never would have thought about asking that question, but he really <laughs> wants to know, you know, and, right. uh, you know, we had Brian Dunning on, and he was, you know, skeptoid, who's done hundreds of episodes on every skeptical topic you can imagine. And Ty was like, what about aliens? What about <laughs> asking all these questions that I never would have get asked in a million years. And it made a really interesting conversation, because Brian was like, oh, let me explain to you what I found about that, you know? So your first episode was on the topic of free speech, mm-hmm. and um, you brought it up already yourself a couple times. Do you see a role, what's the role of free speech in stand-up comedy or religious satire? Yeah, I mean, I think we're having that conversation a lot right now. I mean, Louis C.K., mm-hmm. I'm not sure when this comes out, but Louis C.K. just a couple of days ago, yeah. you know, his his set was recorded and people put it out. And, you know, obviously he's under a microscope right now for is it the other nonsense that he, he got himself sure. involved in. I listened to the audio. I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was very funny, but I didn't think right. it was as bad as everybody made it out to be. And I didn't think it was what everyone said. Everyone said, oh, right. he's making fun of the Parkland shooter kids and he's making fun of the of transgender people. And it's like, no, not really what he was making fun of. He was making fun of the generation of today not being crazy. Usually every generation is crazier than the next generation. Right. And he's like, no, this, and Doug Stanhope did the same bit where he was like, this is the only generation where we're going to be complaining that they're not crazy enough. Right. You know, it's the, <laughs> it's the reverse. Usually it's, oh, kids right. these days. Right. And it's like, no, kids these days, you guys are, you're not wild. Come on, yes. go party, you know? Yes. Stop paying off and, your student loans. Get out there and live. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and that was kind of what he did. And, you know, like I said, I mean, it's not finished bit. We'll see what it's, what it's like when he's right. done writing it. It was a, right. obviously a workout set. But I think the good thing is that even he and even in these situations, comedians are still given a pass. Because, because you have to be able to talk about stuff. You have right. to be able to satire stuff. You have to be able to, to get up and go, hey, wait, 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 wait let's look at this. Right. You know, and you always hear people go, oh, George Carlin and Richard Pryor wouldn't be allowed to do comedy nowadays. And it's like, right. no, that's not true. They were good enough comedians. They were amazing comedians. But they, right. would, they would have been able to, to find a way right. to talk about these subjects without being blatantly offensive or being offensive but, but being offensive to where you go, okay, well, that's a good point. I mean, like I said, Doug Stanhope does it all the time. Right. One of the most offensive guys I've ever seen in my life. Right. But you always walk – you start out going – I can't believe he said that. And by the time you're done, you're like, yes, we should have gay rights. You know what I mean? Like, yes. you always walk away going, well, yeah, he made a perfectly good point. Right. It was vile and disgusting, and he, and he pissed me off a bunch. Yes. <laughs> but he made a great point, and he's right. Right. Um, sometimes he's wrong, and that's okay. Okay, sure. you're wrong. You may, And maybe he changes his opinion later. Maybe he doesn't. But we're talking about it, and you have to have that. And I think comedy is the only place that that's acceptable right now. Right. You know? Do you think... PC culture is bad for comedy or affects comedy? Oh, I, I, absolutely. Um, I hate the PC culture, and I, I, I also hate the word PC. Sure. Because the problem is, I mean, I'll, I'll rail against PC culture all the time. Right. It's ridiculous. People are splitting hairs about words, and right. And I always say, I say it in special, in both specials, I actually say it. It's not the word; it's the intention. Right. Period. And right. I don't, you can argue, I'll argue with you to my death on that. <laughs> right. You know, if I say something and, um, and I, you know, what we did on our podcast, we did a whole thing about, about blackface and, and sure. we talked about, you know, I'm like, what, what is that? And I said, there's a difference between what was considered, what was blackface, people making fun of black right. people by putting on and lampooning them and right. doing this, this whole act back when they did that. Right. 
And, you know, like I, I mentioned on my podcast, when I was in, I mean, again, it's a different time, but even then I, I still defend it. When I was in seventh grade, mm-hmm. my hero, okay. I loved Mr. T. Sure. I went as Mr. T for, <laughs> for Halloween. I went full black. I put sure. on a mohawk and went as Mr. T. No one thought of it as weird. Right. Nowadays, I would, I would be ousted as a racist, but it's sure. like, no, I wasn't a racist. I loved Mr. T. Right. So what else was I supposed to do? Be a white Mr. T? I mean, right. isn't that more racist? And then, or then I would just be a guy with a mohawk. And they'd right. be like, wait, who am I supposed to be? Zangief yes. from the... Uh, oh, yeah. An extra like, from Mad Max. Right, exactly. So it's like, <laughs> and they say, well, just don't do it. Okay, maybe those are the times now. Maybe we right. just don't do it. Right. But my point is it's still about the intention. Right. I, I think with PC culture, I think the problem is that people forget about intention. But on the flip side of that, now you've got all these... I don't want to just bag on Trumpsters necessarily, but but yeah, go the ahead. right wing of America, the Trumps type people, where they're like, oh, good, Trump said it's okay not to be PC anymore. N-word, mm. N-word, right. you know, but whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. Right. Not being PC and being overtly racist right. are not the same thing. Yeah, I know? mean, uh, a phrase that isn't said often, but it's a little more philosophical, is the phrase brave speech. Right. And um, I don't know, I don't even know if stand-up comedy counts as brave speech. But I know that one of the categories of brave speech is that you have to be risking something yourself right. when you make yeah. a brave speech. And I feel like it, that's a, another way of saying the old cliche of punching up versus punching down. Right. Like it's not very brave to do a right. racist joke and punch down. Right. But it, it is brave to speak back to power. Or, so <laughs> right. to me, that's yeah. like a slightly d- different way of distinguishing intent, as you might put it. Well, yeah, and I actually, I mean, I even have a problem with the punching up, punching down. Okay. I have a couple philo- philosophical problems. I don't have a problem with what it means. Right. I don't have a problem with the with the spirit behind that. Absolutely. You're not going to go up and go, huh, man, mentally challenged people. Aren't they stupid? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what? Like, who's going to do that? Like, sure. first off, why would you do that? Right. Um, and if you do that, it just wouldn't be funny, yeah. first of all. Or whatever. Or, or yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, whatever you're making fun of that, you know, that's right. obviously. But the problem I have with that is that. We get into this victim Olympics sometimes where it's like, well, what's down and what's up? Sure. And so does that mean as a white male, I can't talk about anything because I'm above everything? And then isn't that inherently weird to say that I'm above everything and everything's below me? Right. That's a weird thing to me. Go, I guess I can't talk about, I can't, I can't talk, not that I would do racist jokes. Sure, sure. But I can't even mention a gay person in my act because that's punching down. I'm like, well, wait, why are they down? I don't, sure. I, I get what you mean. In, there's a societal right. thing of my thing is I don't understand why we're making fun of necessarily of people in the first place. Sure. I think we make fun of concepts and ideas. Sure. Now people conflate that because sure. they believe that they're they're They are their ideas, which they are not. So when I go up and go, you know, religion, yeah, 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 yeah. It sucks. Blah, 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 blah. And I make a joke about your belief. I'm not making fun about you of you necessarily. Right. Now, I am kind of by proxy because sure. you, be- you hold that belief. Right. So therefore, I'm saying anyone – I guess you are hearing me say anyone who holds this belief is a moron. Right. But I might just be saying these beliefs are ridiculous. How you interpret that is on you. Right. I get that all the time. They go, that's where the punching up, punching down. Oh, right. well, you shouldn't make fun of Muslims, but you can make fun of Christians. And it's like, well, no, they have almost the identical beliefs. So if right. I'm making fun of their silly beliefs – I'm not right. punching up or punching down. Right. And as an atheist, isn't everything punching up? But if you're a Christian, you think you're the most you, – you think the Christians in America think they are the most discriminated against right. group. <laughs> so according to them, I'm punching down. Right. <laughs> because I'm this, I'm this 
guy with science on my on my you know and, and facts. Sure. So here I am making fun of these poor defenseless <laughs> Christians. Yes. Who can't even say Merry Christmas anymore. Right. I have a problem with that in 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 that sense where it's like I feel like any ideal right. or idea should be on the table. Do you have an approach to satire? Like as a craftsperson or as an artist or just as a person or as a skeptic, you're going to write some jokes about skeptical topic X. I mean, right. what is satire to you or how do you accomplish that? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a, well, first I'm a huge fan of satire. I, I think, okay. I think The Onion is probably <laughs> this publication that's ever been sure. written. I mean, and they have bad days, of course, but man, sure. almost everything in that is so, is genius. Yeah. My approach to comedy is I do a lot of characters. Sure. Um, you're known for your impressions. Yeah, so I, I, I your Christopher I like Walken um, <laughs> climate denier uh, bit yes. is fantastic. It's been circulated on the YouTube's a little bit. Yes, yeah, and I I think that for me, when I write a joke, I try to do what I thought. Well, I think the greatest comedian of all time is Richard Pryor, and what I what I think was amazing about Richard Pryor is he had every single aspect of comedy of joke writing. So okay. he he would set up the joke. He would explain the joke, the premise. He would tell it like a story. Yes. But he would have one-liners in there. His one-liners were always super clever. Okay. It wasn't anything you saw coming. Like his wording was like, excuse me, part of that was just that, that like 70s street jive lingo sure. that he used. That he would say stuff in a colorful way, kind of like an old, you know, southern guy, you know, who had, who had like my grandpa used to have those <laughs> like, you know, let's... That guy is sillier than his day, whatever. He he had he had that lingo that seventies sure. and eighties black guys had that were cool, you know. Right. So he could he had this really great way of wording things that was so clever, and he acted things out. Yes. He anthropomorphized everything. If it was his computer, his computer said to him. Right. If it was his car, his car <laughs> did this back to him. He was never my car broke down. Was my my car was my car said fuck it, I ain't going. You know whatever. Right. It, it like talked to him. And he does that. He did that and does that better than anybody. And, okay. and for me, when I do for me when I do a joke writing, I try to think of it that way, to where I always include a little, or when I can, I always include a little satirical scene mm-hmm. in what I do. So like, okay, chemtrails. This is dumb because this, and here's why it's silly. Here's a one liner. Oh, haha, funny. Okay, and then I go, you've all met that guy, right? <laughs> and then I. Then I lampoon that guy, and I, I try mm. to do a scene that's over the top right. of meeting that guy. Right. And I find I find that really gets the point across mm. a lot because a lot of times people don't understand the, the words you're saying or they don't understand the concept you're saying until you make fun of it. I, I do a character sometimes on YouTube about this, this karate guy, and he's like a redneck karate guy named Kenny, and I'm making fun of rednecks. Right. I'm making fun, but rednecks love it. <laughs> and even though I'm making fun of them, you know, and other people love it because they're making fun of rednecks. Rednecks right. love it because they're like, "Yep, you got me." You know, <laughs> um, and and I think I really think it's like one of the best ways to to you really see the hypocrisy in things right. when you go, "Oh wow, we really do look like that." As a lover of satire, we know it goes back Greeks, Romans, thousands of years. Satire's part of comedy and literature and the arts. Um, but I wonder, this is just a question, you, you may or may not have an opinion about it. I feel like since September 11th, there's been more religious satire around. Do, is that s- hmm. sound right to you at all, or if any reaction to that Gosh. suggestion? There are more, you think, more religious satire since September 11th? I, I don't know. That might be true. I don't know if there's, if there's a correlation there. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely more religious satire now. I think the, I think the internet itself... 
sure has opened up so much you know good and bad that mm-hmm. we're seeing so many more ideas and we're sharing ideas that right. people are becoming more seeing stuff that they may not have seen in their hometown before or whatever sure. you know, they live in a, a small town in Ohio and they mm-hmm. everyone's religious and when, now they've got the internet and they're getting these ideas and they're watching you know mm-hmm. Sam Harris and Matt Dillahunty and, right. and oh this is interesting oh well there maybe there is no God and all of a sudden this person who never would have been exposed to that is exposed to right all these other ideas and there's so many more ways to get yourself seen sure so there's so much more satire there's so much more so many more comedians that you would never see normally because they were in a comedy club right. and now they're on the internet so I think we see a lot more of it and I think it's a lot more acceptable nowadays you know like okay. anything as, as you get you know like we were talking about this today on the podcast man 10 15 years ago you couldn't say bitch on television now you can say anything you want on television pretty much so I, I just want to ask you one more quick question and then we'll wrap up and I always this is a very generic question anything else about satire we didn't get to that you want to say anything on your mind any wisdom for others no you know um the, well the hard part now is is de- determining between satire and fake news um, <laughs> because people always call stuff fake news and i go no, right. no that's satire fake news is when they're trying to make it real <laughs> and it's really hard to tell the difference like you can you can right. look at a, at a, at a a headline on foxnews.com and then look at an onion headline. Right. And they might not be that far off. Sure. That's scary. <laughs> That's scary because nowadays you read stuff, there's a lot of really bad satire out there where yes. It's not there's no jokes in there. They're just saying stuff that isn't true that's kind of but it, it's not it's not out there enough. It's not mm. over the top enough yes. to be obvious satire. Right. And then you go, "Wait, is this real? Yep. Is this fake news or is this satire?" And that's the hard part right now is being able to comb through it and say, oh, wait a second. This is trying to be satire, but it's not funny. Right. But the Onion, you always get, okay, this is hilarious. It's right. satire. But you draw that back. You take some of the jokes away from that, and it's really not much different than, than reading Breitbart sometimes. You're like, oh, yes. wait, did they think this? Right. Oh, this? So I think sure. that's the thing is we have, to, we have to be able to determine and discern the difference between <laughs> satire, fake news, and right. bad writing. Sure. You know? Well, it's, a, it's said that in British or European comedy, they don't always play for the laugh. Right. So there's this also this brand of awkward comedy where you don't know, is this a joke? Am I supposed to laugh? Is this person being serious right now? Right. Well, yeah, and there's a lot of that also where it's it's almost like the Sasha Baron Cohen's of the world. Sure. Which I have a hard time not laughing at the stuff he does. Even the stuff I think is so stupid and, and ridiculous. Right. Man, he, he does some of the most uncomfortable right. social satire in, in real situations. You know, right. like it's almost like it's like prank videos almost, but it's yes. but he's getting people to do stuff that yeah, do they, stuff they should never do. Say stuff, like, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. He, um, that sure. guy, that guy is a master at what he does. Absolutely. And I, but I think that's one of those things too, where you go. Sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it's just awkward Word. and yes. uncomfortable. Yeah. And you're like, oh gosh, I can't right. believe I'm watching this. I can't believe this guy's about to do this. You know, but it's yes. necessary. I think. Okay. Well, Ian, uh, thank you so much for your time. I really oh, appreciate having you. you on the Comical Heathen. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, well, th- thank you for yeah. having me. And um, Thank you very much, Ian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Talk soon. Well, I hope that was good for you. That's Ian Harris. Uh, we had a nice uh, long chat. Uh, talked about his career, some some highlights, about how he got his specials made. And I also like the idea that um, he's doing a more uh, normal club show. He still talks about skepticism. and talk about Bigfoot and aliens and other types of things you can joke around about. 
And then also just the idea that he sticks to his guns. I mean, this is both his who he is as well as who his stage persona is. And uh, sometimes people walk out. But uh, you got to have your vision and your intent and stick to it. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening to today's episode. Remember, we are on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Find us, like us, like us on iTunes, like us on Stitcher. You can listen to us through Podbean. You can email me. Hey, you know what? You could email me. I'm always looking for articles at the bottom of the rabbit hutch. If you ever see any newspaper articles uh, with like a, a skew, slightly askew facts or information from a religious perspective, I'd love to see them. I'd love to see them. Just email them to me. Uh, the Comical Heathen email address is listed in the description of this uh, podcast. I'll also just let you know, I want to give out some thank yous. The wonderful Bach organ music you hear is being played by my friend, Mark Bell, world-famous organist. Our theme music was recorded as part of Mark's CD, which he recorded on the campus of Lake Erie College in Painesville, Ohio, where they have a world-famous Skinner organ. If you love organ music, you should look up Mark's CD. And I also want to thank my friend, uh, Jeff Geddert. He helps me with engineering issues, and he's a music producer. And also, he uh, is a writer for me. He uh, helps generate written material. So I really appreciate and lean on Jeff's help as much as I can. And also, I just want to... Uh, Take this last opportunity for me, your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, to thank you, the listener, for listening to today's episode. Thank you. Comedians, the last, the last right. ones. He's still allowed to say whatever they want to okay. say. Okay.